hello, hello, and welcome back to the SLP Corner Podcast. I'm so excited, you guys, because today I have my very best friend, Guggen, on the podcast. She just finished grad school recently, so I'm really excited um, for her to come on the podcast, and we're going to just ask her all the questions that you might have for a new grad, because she's fresh out of it. And um, yeah, before we dive in, Guggen, can you introduce yourself, and can you let everyone know how we met? A little love story. <laughs> of course. So, my name is Guggen. I'm from Vancouver. I just finished the SLP program at UBC. And I actually met Shannon in second year. It was a syntax class, a linguistics class. It was a rough period, not gonna <laughs> lie. I wasn't really sure how I got through that class. And met Shannon, asked her for study tips, asked her for help. And you know what? I did just fine. Yeah, that's it was how we met. That's, it totally was. <laughs> Bond. <laughs> we bonded over not liking syntax for sure through it. anyways so Duggan, where should we even begin i think we should just start with talking about tips for getting into the program so do you have maybe like three tips that you could have for people about how like what you personally would recommend based on your experience on how to get into the program because Guggen um, got in her first try, and you like had a great application, I must thank say. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no big deal. So maybe you could share a little bit about your experience with that and what you would recommend to people trying to get into the program. Okay. So I applied to various schools in Canada, and I ended up going to UBC because I live in Vancouver, already had an apartment here, my family's here. It just kind of made sense. But so this this is just I guess more UBC specific, but you can kind of apply it to other schools as well because the applications I think are kind of similar. But the first thing I would say is your letter of intent. So I would say have a strong letter of intent that outlines exactly why you think you're a good fit for this program and also why this program is a good fit for you. So, for example, UBC is a school that does a lot of research. So in my letter of intent, I kind of talked about, hey, like, if I did research, this is the type of research I would want to do. And then I kind of talked about that a little bit. And I kind of talked about one of the labs I would want to join. And it was great. Like, it kind of shows that this is the research you're interested in. And therefore, like, you know, like, you're a good fit for the school and the school is a good fit for you. So it kind of goes both ways. And my second tip is get strong letters of references. So mm-hmm. I try to kind of form like more long-term relationships with profs or like mm-hmm. um, other SLPs who I know could kind of write me a strong letter of reference. And because this is kind of speaking to your character and you're willing to work hard and learn and your professionalism. And, mm-hmm. and these are all important traits as an SLP. Mm-hmm. So having people who can really vouch for you and can kind of say that, you know, like you've worked really hard and you have these kind of unique traits. I think that's really important. So kind of think about that long term and form those longer term relationships to kind of get stronger letters. And then my last tip would be is start volunteering or working somewhere and it doesn't necessarily have to be SLP related but um, it kind of has to show that you're willing to learn and that you have really important skills like patience and empathy and compassion because mm-hmm. those are some of the traits that I think are most important to our field mm-hmm. so it doesn't necessarily have to be SLP directly related but somewhere where you can kind of stick around and learn and grow and really let that show in your letter of intent. 
Boom. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think those are such good tips. Um, For the letter of intent, I think it's so important that you said strong letter of intent Mm -hmm. because I've said this in a podcast before, so some people might have heard it, but if not, I've shared that like my brother, Ryan, who's the prof, he um, told me that when I email and ask for a letter of intent, make sure you say like, can I have a strong letter of intent? Because you don't want a mediocre letter. It's really important. And then also that you said long-term relationships. Because if you like just meet a prof for one term or one class, it's probably not enough. Like maybe you should ask to re- volunteer in their research lab, or you should um, go to their office hours a lot, or take multiple classes with them. Because the long term, I think, is important rather than just like a one-off. Yeah, and I remember you actually sharing that tip to me several years ago. So when I asked profs to write me reference letters, I actually used that word strong. Like, would you be able to write me a strong letter of recommendation for this program or this school? And I think that was really helpful. And um, also, I did try to, like, do a lot of, like, research or volunteer for different labs. And so if I took a class with a prof and I really liked the prof in the class, I would just kind of ask if I could help them with their research lab. And oftentimes they will say yes because they need that support. But also, like, it's a chance for you to learn and kind of form that bond. So Mm -hmm. that's a great tip as well. You also mentioned volunteering somewhere. And I like how you said, like, it doesn't necessarily need to be something SLP-related. But it should show the qualities that you would want when you were looking for potential SLPs to attend your grad school. So, like, things that could demonstrate certain qualities that are important. Like, obviously, it's ideal if it's related to SLP, but it can be in other areas. Like, do you have any examples of things that stick out to you that aren't necessarily SLP, but they would fit well? Yeah, like, if you're a tutor, I did some of that. Mm. If you're babysitting, if you're nannying, or... Even if you're working customer service and, you know, like I wrote in my letter, like I speak two languages and um, it's been really helpful in a lot of my like clinical experiences, but also just in my personal life. And this is something that I think would be useful as an SLP to be able to speak all these languages and kind of support bilingual families. And another interesting thing I added to my um, letter of intent is just personal experiences with... um, people who might have a disability or um, some sort of communication or speech challenge. So for example, I had a younger cousin with autism and I kind of wrote in my letter of intent that just seeing him grow working with an SLP, using his AAC device and kind of watching him grow um, and being able to use that device to communicate his wants and needs was so special and kind of inspired me to do something similar. I love that, again. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with the class. <laughs> okay, so I think those are great tips. Um, and I, I agree with them all. I'm on the same page, so that's fantastic. Um, moving on to grad school, I want to talk about placements. So first, can you just quickly kind of walk through where your placements, not necessarily where they were, because we're both based out of Vancouver, so like no one's going to necessarily know. Most of the listeners are actually in the States. Yeah, but we have some Canadians. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so, yeah, just what was, like, the patient population? Was it hospital? Was it acute care? Like, just run through that, and um, then we can talk more about, like, we'll go into tips and all of that, but first, just, like, what were they in? Okay. So, my first placement, so we had 
three placements in total. My first placement was a private practice, and so this was with preschoolers and school-age kids. And my second one was actually cut a little bit short because of a COVID outbreak. So I got to do part of it in a rehab unit in a hospital. So I wasn't in the entire hospital. I was just on that one dedicated unit. And then because there was an outbreak, it was cut a little bit short. So my school actually got me to do something a little different. So I got to do some teletherapy um, for preschoolers through a public unit. And my last one, which was the longest one, was in acute care in a hospital. Nice. And so you you typically were supposed to have four, right? Yeah. But because of COVID, you only got three. Yeah. Three in total. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if anyone thinks that's like not that many, it's because of COVID. So first of all, what was like your most positive experience in placement and what was your like most negative? Because I feel like people are always like either talking about all the negatives or talking about all the positives, but it's like, let's just acknowledge that there's positives and negatives in placements. So can we hear like one highlight? It can be anything. It could be something so small or it could be like generally like the patient population in general, or it could be like just anything. So one highlight from placements, and then I can do the same so people can hear some positives so it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> and then let's go over like maybe two, like just actually bad experiences you had. Okay. One bad experience you had, one bad experience I had so people can hear the positives and negatives. Okay, so I'll start with my positive experience is I actually feel like I got to work in a lot of different teams. So like especially in my hospital placements and especially in the rehab unit, I found that you kind of work with different professionals from different settings and it just, it's so nice to see so many different people working together for similar goals or to kind of help this patient in different ways. That I think was a very positive experience and I think, you know, like as my externships kind of progressed, I learned more and more about myself and more and more about how to advocate for myself and for my learning, which is so important and a, like skills that I'm going to be taking into my workplace and honestly the rest of my life. It's, mm -hmm. I think, so important for students to kind of know when to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What was your most positive experience? Uh, my most positive experience... You know what? I... Okay. I want to say, like, similar to what you said about, like, learning more about yourself and how to advocate for yourself, because how to ask for help and how to also, like, justify your feelings and opinions, because I feel like that would come up sometimes in, like, one thing in one placement in particular, when I was in acute care, like, I just wouldn't agree necessarily sometimes with certain things, and I learned to, like, speak up and be able to justify my opinions, and, like, that it's okay to be able to, like, disagree if it's respectfully and not even necessarily disagree, but just, like, I communicate your perspective instead of just being like, okay, 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 okay. As a student, it's like, no, you should be allowed to share where you're coming from. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that like got better with time. And then, um, but yeah, I was originally going to say my most positive probably was just like after, for the first year of SLP, I was kind of like, oh my God, did I choose, make the right choice? Yeah. And I was like really regretting it kind of. Not even necessarily regretting it, but I was just like, I don't like this, but because it was all coursework and I don't even like school that much. And then I remember after my first placement and then my third private practice placement, I was like, oh my god, I remember why I chose this field. Mm -hmm. And then it like re it like sparked like this love for the field again inside me. And that was probably a highlight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now let's talk about all the different <laughs> dark parts. I honestly feel like I, in different ways, loved all of my externships. Like, I got super lucky that I had supportive clinical educators. 
there were times where I felt like I did kind of struggle. Like, for example, in acute care, there's just a steep learning curve and there's just a lot of medical terms that you might not know. So it could be really, really overwhelming. But I was super lucky that I was in a supportive environment. And, you know, we kind of like started off with a um, slower caseload so I could ask all those questions. And that is one of the biggest tips I can give for other students is ask questions and ask so many of them and make notes and kind of jot down notes as much as you need to but ask all the right questions because especially when you enter acute if there is a steep learning curve and there's going to be a lot that you don't know and that's okay and you just have to remember that it's okay to not know everything and it will come my most negative part about grad school or not grad school placements was Overall, I did not like my second placement in acute care. I felt like it was just every day I was like, I don't really know why I'm here. Because I, like, I learned, but not that much. And I felt like I had so many CEs. I think I had like three CEs. And I feel like everyone had different opinions. And I was always so anxious and so stressed because I was like, this person thinks this, this person thinks this, this chart note's not good enough for that person, but the other person likes that type of chart note, and I was just constantly playing, like, felt like this game, but that was also ended up being a positive, because I ended up learning how to, like, communicate that to them, but I remember just feeling really anxious and stressed, and, like, I did not like it, like, I would come home, and I was like, I don't want to go back tomorrow, and that feeling is, like, so dreadful, to feel like you really don't want to go back to work tomorrow, and I felt like that for my entire placement, in my adult placement, um, thankfully, I didn't feel like that with my kid placements because that's like what I wanted to work in and that would have been really upsetting but yeah I think for me like I had an interesting experience because I wasn't sure if I wanted to work with kids or adults so I ended up loving all my placements regardless of the population but I do have to say like sometimes you will have uh, clinical educators or supervisors that just have a different teaching style and your learning style may not necessarily mesh but um for example, I'm just more of a trial and error type of learner. Like I like to try different things and just kind of see what sticks and go from there. Um, some supervisors may like that, others may not. And I think that is one instance where you kind of have to learn to advocate for yourself and say like, this is what you can do to support me. And that's one thing that was extremely difficult for me, but I needed to learn it in order to have a externship where I could actually learn. Yes. I love that, Megan. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, now I just want to go over, like, some tips for placements. We don't need, like, a bunch. Maybe just a two, three, or just whatever you think is, like, l like actual tips that you found helpful. Tips for placements. For students maybe entering your first placement and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so scared. Okay. So, the number one thing is... Learn to make mistakes and be okay with the fact that you're not going to know how to do everything. I think like when I came into my first externship, I was really scared of making a mistake and having my supervisor be there in the room and then watch me make that mistake. I was literally so terrified of it. But as soon as I kind of got over that fear, I kind of told myself like, you know what, like I'm a student, I'm here to learn, I'm going to make mistakes. I felt a lot better and at the end of the day I just went home at the end of work and just reflected like here's what I did that I liked and you know this didn't work for me and next time I'll try this yeah. so being able to kind of learn to make mistakes and be okay just not being so scared of judgment mm -hmm. I think is important 
And another thing I um, did that really, really helped, especially my first one where it's kind of tricky to kind of juggle everything, like you're in your first placement, this is a new supervisor, it's just a lot to kind of take in. But I actually wrote down all the feedback that I got in my phone, on a piece of paper, and then I would compile it, and then I would go home and actually read it so I can kind of let it internalize and sit with me for a bit. Mm. And the next day, like, okay, I would remember, like, my supervisor said, do more of this, so I would do more of that in the next session. And it actually kind of shows that you're willing to learn, you're willing to grow, and you're taking what they're saying seriously. So, and another thing that I actually did a lot of was ask for feedback. So some supervisors will kind of give you feedback at the end of the week, some more at the end of the session, some more at the end of the day. So make that clear with your supervisor. Which one do you want and how do you learn the best? But I, at the end of a session or at the end of the day, I would always ask my supervisors, like, what can I do more of and what can I do less of? Mm. So this way, it's still like you're asking for feedback and they can be as specific as they want. But this way, you have just general kind of tips on what you need to do more of and what you should consider for your next session, for, for your next working day. Yeah, I really like that. I, I think it's important to ask for feedback because, like, you need to remember that, like, why are you there? You're there to learn. You're not there to people please. You're not there to, like, do the work for your CE. You're not. Literally, this is part of your school. It's part of your education. And I feel like sometimes we lose sight of, like, why we're literally there. And we are not there to get A pluses or anything like that. We're there to learn. So we need to ask for help and ask for feedback. And sometimes CEs might not be giving a lot of feedback. Like I've had CEs who give feedback after every single session, which I actually really liked compared to the opposite. And then I had CEs who never gave me feedback and I had to like try to ask for it a lot. But I think it's important to get feedback because that's why you're there. So you can learn from what you did and what you didn't do. So I think it's important. Likewise, and I've had different types of CEs. Some would give feedback right away, others wouldn't. Other would, uh, some would kind of give you feedback verbally, others just just by writing. But I do think it's really important to ask and kind of be specific. And I still have all those notes written down, and I refer to them when I need to. Like, hey, like this is what I, I this is what I was told I can improve on. Am I working towards this? Do I think that's fair? Or you know, like is this something that I think I can still improve on? And it's just helpful to have it written down as well. Yeah, I like those. I like those tips. Um, a tip I would say would be um, try to make sure you control the things that you have control over. So, like, you have control over showing up on time. You have control over being dressed professionally. You have control over, like, um, coming prepared with coming, a pa exactly. like paper and a yeah. notebook or pen. Yeah, there's just so much that you don't have control over. You don't have control over how your CE will act or like if you like them or not. You don't have control over how the session will go necessarily. You don't have control over how the kid is going to be feeling that day. So it's like just you should definitely at least control what you can control. Because like you see you see some students show up and they're like late or they don't have very professional clothing on. Like they just it's like those are the smallest little things that you actually control over. So at least like make sure those are, you know, totally up to speed. Because I think that you'll feel better because you're like more prepared. Fun fact. I applied for a job that I... I personally thought I was really underqualified for, but I think what kind of set me apart was, again, those small things, dressing really professionally, coming out with a couple of copies of printed resumes. I know what job you're talking about. Yeah, and it was my research job yeah, at, yeah, at the school. Yeah. But um, also shooting an email the next morning saying, hey, thanks for interviewing me, thanks for taking that time, no, I hope you can consider me as a candidate. Yeah. And I ended up getting that position. Yeah. And I really did not think I was going to get that position because there were some questions during the interview that I totally thought I bombed. Yeah. But 
still got the position. And I think it comes down to those small things that can kind of set you apart from others. Yeah, like being almost overprepared. Yeah. Yeah. And then being okay with the fact that, you know, things are going to happen and I may or may not like them. And I can't always expect what's going to happen, but then controlling what you can control and then letting the rest go. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, okay, so we've talked about tips for any program. We talked about your placement experiences, tips for placement. We talked about best and worst placement experience. Now I want to also just end the podcast off with study tips because you're studying for the national exam right now and you obviously did a lot of studying during the program. So do you have some like key study tips you'd share with people that you think are really helpful and um, what are they? I think being picky and choosy with where picky you want to and choosy. picky and choosy with where you <laughs> want to spend your energy and time on. So I just knew that with the amount of readings and work we were given, it was just too much to do everything at once. So I picked and choose readings that I really wanted to know more about or learn more about, and I just you know just kind of accepting that it's okay if you don't do every single reading, but. Focus on things that you want to learn more about and, you know, listen listen attentive, inten- listen carefully in class. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, you'll be okay. But also, I found that having a good group of study um, friends that you can kind of share notes with, ask questions with, just kind of, like, bounce ideas off of each other, like, edit each other's papers. If you can have a friend or two in class that you trust and can study with, I think it's really helpful. Yeah. I, I feel like one thing I want to add on to that is like, and I've also mentioned this before on the podcast in case anyone like heard this already, it's so important to know the difference between like when to study in a group and when not to, because I think what you just said is so accurate. Like in the program, it's honestly vital to have a group of people you can send things to and get feedback on and all of that, but, or like do assignments together, even if they're not group assignments, like brainstorm together and mm-hmm. do the assignment kind of together. Um, I did that all the time. Like I barely ever did assignments alone, but then at the same time, I feel like some people make the mistake of studying and like memorizing in groups and that's not for everyone. Some people can learn like that and they learn better in groups like to memorize when, for an exam. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, like I could absolutely never memorize in a group. Like I need to memorize alone at home and focus. And I feel like people when they're studying, even, even if you're in grad school or not grad school, undergrad listening to this, it's even more important in undergrad, I think you need to know the difference between when you should be studying in a group and when you should be alone. Mm-hmm. because people always want to study in groups and sometimes it's really yeah, unhelpful and it'll it actually overwhelming. It'll yeah. increase your anxiety because some people might know things so fast and then yeah. you feel like you don't know anything. Yeah. It's like, ew, just study alone. There have been times where I was supposed to study in this study group and I ended up leaving early because I felt like it was overwhelming but there have been other times where I was like, thank God I went to the study group because I did not know what was happening and my friend was able to kind of explain it to a big group of people in one sitting. So, yeah. Kind of be picky and choosy again. Yeah, be picky and choosy. Oh yeah, my god, one hundred percent. I love that. Hashtag picky and choosy. <laughs> okay, okay, um, okay. So that's kind of everything we had planned. If you want Gagan to come on, just DM me and let me know. Gagan, is there anything you want to leave everyone with? Is there anything we didn't cover? Is there anything you'd like to share with everyone? Um, I guess just be open-minded going into grad school, going into placements especially, because I remember coming into the program like saying, okay. This is the population I want to work with and nothing else. And then I went to all my adult placements and I was like, oh my goodness, this is an entire different world. I love it so much. Like I can see myself being here. So just be open-minded because you never know where where you'll end up. Yeah, I think that's so true. It's so nice that you um, 
that you were so open-minded that you were able to. Like, even now, you still like both. Yeah. That's kind of nice. Uh, yeah. That's I like, love children, and I love working with adults, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. There's nowhere to follow Guggen because she's private, okay? <laughs> I'm so private. She's so <laughs> private. You're never going to find her. <laughs> okay, well, everyone send Guggen good vibes and good energy because she has her national exam coming up on October Yay. 15th. Yep. Oh. Next month. Next month. Coming up. I hope everyone enjoys their week. And you know what I always say to end off the podcast? You what? can say it. See you next Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>